0: This is the 77th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhards. With me as always are my dear co-hosts Robinson and Christopher Wikström. Warm welcome to you, dear listener. Hello, hi, how do you do? Hello everybody. Let's go! Stockholm Legacy Report can be found whenever we release on the Top app. In this episode, we will discuss Paper Legacy from Stockholm, as is the name of our podcast and something that should be expected. Then, we will talk about decks that we have loved and lost to the ever-changing metagame, that churning grinder. Is this going to be Ultra Boomer Hour or just Healthy Nostalgia? We will let you all be the judges of that. But first things first, Robin... Did you have a good follow up to your last week's 4 0? I had a
1: great follow up. <laughs> you know, if you play 8 cast, you can't really play 8 cast the next event because the hate will be real, especially if you do well with it. So I sleeved up the trusted blue and red Delver, and did not do very well. <laughs> Results-wise, it was a f- good evening, nonetheless. I started out playing a Sevda Mirror against a Delver. I am notoriously bad at the Delver Mirror. That's why I usually like to play Delver when it's not the best deck. <laughs> when it's the best <laughs> deck, I'm just bad in the, Del- in the Delver Mirrors, and I lost 0-2. Just got outplayed, I should say. And then I faced off against my nemesis, Mr. Geri Vikström, Wikström, on his trusted aluren. Birds flew, and uh, death touched and blocked everything, and I was just out grinded, out controlled.
2: Like we drew it up.
1: Like we drew it up. Then I was up against one of my favorite new decks, Orcs. I managed to steal game one. With the typical Delver hand, like Delver flipping wasteland days, you know, how it goes. But in game two and game three, he had a little bit more removal and the hateful endurances to keep my graveyard clean. And I lost 1-2. So I'm down and I'm on my second bear, I think. (laughs) Because when you go 0-2, you can sort of... Give up the the winning ambitions and just go for the nice pub quality of alpha spiel instead. And then I faced off against shark control in the final game and managed to snag a win there. So I sort of a little bit redeemed myself and turned a a terrible knight into a a 1-3. So that was nice.
0: Have you beaten Christopher at all in LGS play?
1: Never with Delver. (laughs) <laughs> that's for sure I think I'm beating him with 8 cast and possibly with Nia adepts. but I'm, I think I'm something like 30-70 against Christopher something like that, unbeatable
2: I feel you, I know how that feels like in 8 cast I think you have a pretty okay record against me but not when we're in tournament <laughs> when we're sitting at your kitchen table I'm like, oh man, this matchup is so bad. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like tournament and it's like a 2-0 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. But we had we have always like super tight games, however. But this this version that I'm playing right now the Aluren is specifically made to really beat up on Delver. It doesn't always do that. We played a, a third game yeah. or fourth game after our games, and that one Robin actually took down. I played the greediest line I took. Uh, I could have, and I got super punished by a second Merktide.
1: But yeah, it's rough, man. I, I mean, I, I'm usually better against you when it doesn't matter. I, I think one, one day we were like playing in the pre-games before the event started and I was on Nyadepts and, and I think I won like three games in a row something like that. And then we yeah, faced yeah. off against each other and you just swooped me with 2-0. Yeah, like uh, we played four <laughs> or five
2: games and you won like all but one. Yeah. And then it's it's tournament and I'm like, oh, game phase on. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's weird because it's not like I go into a different style like play style it's just i don't know maybe when it matters you make different decisions uh, because maybe. i'm pretty consistent when it comes to like what play pay- patterns i have
1: okay so it's not you that is a spike it's me that am an anti-spike
2: <laughs> well maybe maybe you get into your head like oh i need to win this yeah so maybe you go for lines that you When you're relaxed Might
1: not go into Ah, That might be the truth So how was your Thursday evening Christopher?
2: Well My Allure and hot streak Is finally Over I had a A good run But uh, you know Everything beautiful Must come to an end So I sleeve up the same alert list. I've been super busy in school, so I haven't had time to sleeve up other decks. So this is my excuse. But yeah, first I played uh, against Ad Tendrils, which is just such a hard matchup. They are like uh, any faster combo variant is tricky for this deck. But combined discard with uh, Veil vale of Summers and, you know, just a, a super fast kill... It's very hard to deal with. So that was a, an 0-2. Then I played against yours truly, Robin on Delver, which was a, a 2 a Then I was up against the initiative deck. Game one, I think my opponent... I can't remember who won game one or two. One of the games, I just did the Aluren thing, just played the, the enchantment. So I remember in, in game two, because I, I, I think I did the whole Aluren thing in game one, just comboing off. But in game two... Uh, he had a pregame effect with what sh- Chancellor of the Annex. And I was like, okay, that's terrifying. And then proceeded to go Ancient Tomb, Chromox, or Lotus Petal. I think it was Lotus Petal, White Plume Adventure. So I'm sitting there thinking, should I go for a quote unquote four for four? <laughs> and I decide yes. And I'm I'm on a mulligan to six as well. So I cast Endurance, like pitch cast it, to get rid of the Chancellor, and then Forza will the the White Plume Adventure, because my last two cards in hands are two lands. So I'm thinking, this is pretty nice. My opponent has one random card and a Chancellor of the Annex. This is pretty good. My opponent top decks Ancient Tomb, Land, and just three initiative creatures in a row. (laughs) But I think like that game is just so over anyways, like it's nasty. (laughs) And game, game three was pretty close, but when you're sitting there and you're both, you know, stealing the initiative back and forth, it's really important that you start drawing your closer cards, like Aluren or something like that. I think I had so many opportunities to top deck, but I just could not find Cantrips, Aluren or Uro, which all would have been great. My opponent just ripped initiative creature, initiative creature, without even going to the scry mm. room. <laughs> so I was just sitting there, like, oh man, this is so bad. Um, so that was actually a one-two. I still think that matchup feels really good for Aluren. I I I guess that my draws were just really terrible. I
1: think that they, if they have uh, the seasoned engineer which, you know, can avoid all your uh, flying uh, death-touchers, and they go for the aggro route and trap you for five, they can put on a pretty fast clock. Yeah. Even if you steal the initiative back, because they can just swing with Dungeoneer and take it. Yeah,
2: that's that's always scary. But, like, Mm -hmm. in a lot of these matchups, if that's the one card to dodge, it still feels pretty good, because their card to dodge, for them, is an enchantment that just makes them loose, so it still feels pretty good so maybe maybe I should have some sort of trick maybe put those what's that splash card that Delver has started splashing to kill creatures the pay for life it's also a banger in death's shadow I've seen some Aluren players put those in to both solve murktide and initiative and then I guess it's spe- specifically the dungeoneer that's the only problem. So maybe that's something to look into. But yeah, then the last game I played against Cephalid Breakfast, it was like two super fun games. Like we were both doing, you know, putting each other on the test, like every single turn, but eventually my opponent took it down 0-2. That was super fun. In, in the last game, my opponent had one turn to really make things happen. So they're like, I'm going to have to go for it next turn. And then they top decked a second of wheel. So they had literally the combo and two forces, two blue cards, which was very bad for me. <laughs> But super fun games nonetheless. So yeah, a solid 1-3. <laughs> My first negative record with this deck in a very long time. But you know, it happens. Like variants, but also maybe I made some mistakes down the line. We'll never know.
0: How does it feel to be sort of generally so humble to actually lose you know, three matches in one day? When did that last happen to you? <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> Not since we started yeah, it,
2: this podcast. It was a while ago. I did play the Karn Kitten deck, uh, but then then I got uh, two losses and a draw. <laughs> so I guess that this is uh, slightly worse than that. <laughs> but you know, it happens. I guess I'm just seeing a simple casual now. I, I'll go back to you know doing what what uh, the the normal casuals does, which is beating your co-hosts
0: in. I've yeah, yeah, understood. but
2: you, you two are like, oh, the youngling, he's gonna cry if we don't give this to him. So I, I, I think there's, <laughs> I think there's some, you know, room uh-huh. there. You, it's easier to manage me when I'm all like on a on a high horse and a winning streak against you than it is <laughs> to uh, deal with sad me crying, and need <laughs> comfort
1: when you beat me up. Uh, that, that is just not true. <laughs>
0: Okay, my dear co-hosts. It is time for us to act our age. I mean, myself and Robin are on the threshold to become 40. So what better way to prepare for that than a discussion about decks that seem voided from the current metagame. The decks we miss daily, why did they go away? Whom can we blame? Will there ever be justice? Why isn't Legacy the same anymore? Which deck do we miss the most? I mean, for me, what comes to mind is the deck that i always found so extremely cool and sort of a sign that this person really knew what they were doing back when i started playing legacy 10 years ago and that's mud and i haven't seen mud anywhere forever and it used to be for me that's this hallmark of like this person knows what they're doing what happened to mud man that's a that's a
2: great that's a great question, and I think it's, it's sort of like a, a two-parter uh, down memory lane as, you know, what happened to Mud is probably an answer to, well, maybe it begs the question, what, what, what took Mud's place in meta? And for me, that was the Eldrassi Stompy deck, mm. which just proved to be as, like, even more aggressive but had a more streamlined and, may I say, less daring game plan. It was just like all beats, no brain. Yeah. Which, I mean, I do dig that life, that lifestyle. It's needed in Legacy. But uh, it also begs the question, what happened to Eldrassi? You know, <laughs> right. Muddis is one of those decks that whenever you play against it, it's a treat. Like, you can never treat it like anything else than a treat. It will always have... This warm, fuzzy feeling when your opponent has Metalworker staff in play and they just, I'm just gonna Blightsteel Colossus you with haste. It's it's something special about that. Or like Coldota just sacrificing free artifacts and fetching something terrible or Spine of you, or something it's just such a beautiful deck and if any of our listeners have never played against mud or know what it is do check it out it's like sand and water if you need uh, a spelling for it it's
0: mud yeah because also like mud is to me such a coherent and complete deck like the whole deck fits with itself and the cards individually fit with each other in a way that i mean if you look at delver for example it's really just like super powerful cards that have synergy but sort of you can just replace any of the cards with another card that has more synergy or is even better whereas mud is like a symphony you can't take out 10 cards on the deck and replace it with 10 other colourless cards that are supposedly better because that's not how the deck is sort of constructed. Yeah. I I feel like Mud is has that quality probably more than any other legacy deck that I can think of spontaneously. That's true art in gaming.
1: Yeah, it's it's really like the art of mud, but it's I think it's also the demise of Mud. Mm. <laughs> like, it's it's too many moving parts. It's... Game plan is not really coherent. You you may draw, like, the lock piece hand or the ramp hand or you have uh, the aggro hand or you have the combo hand. So many different hands. And uh, if they don't align, you will have a, a pretty weak deck, I think. And, uh, like, Eldrazi was just more efficient more streamlined and, and more... Uh, Consistent in what it was doing, I think.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I think like there's always a a time and place for different decks to be good. And I think now when we're looking at the uh, many keywords and abilities that are printed on primarily creatures, you know, getting incremental advantages and stuff like that. If you're a Chalice deck that doesn't Chalice and Trinisphere deck that doesn't necessarily put the hurt in the dirt like Robin said like maybe you draw lock pieces and uh, some combo pieces without payoff it's gonna feel terrible compared to like Eldrazi here's a, a chalice and here's a fought not seer and here's a reality smash and the opponent's just sitting there like where did it all go wrong where mud sometimes you lock your opponent out to turn one and then you just play lands forever and you're the one thinking where i all go wrong. I mean, sure, that can happen in any chalice deck. But when you're playing an explosive deck, I do like mud. I do believe that when it happens to you that you have so many outs, maybe it's also a bit discouraging to play against when the format is uh, like more better answers are being like integrated and printed into the format. Like the creature, like just the value of creatures that people can play also increase over time. Maybe maybe mud is uh, you know a bit underexplored, but I do believe that that's a effect of different other chalice and trinisphere decks uh, just being so efficient and good at combating the meta.
0: I mean, these days, why would you ever want to sleeve up mud when you have eight cast or? Six Chalice or Mario <laughs> Stompy, whatever you Six call chalice. it. So, but then Eldrazi is also gone,
2: right? Why is that? That's a good question. I do believe the answer is there are. If I, if someone would ask me what are the three most powerful Stompy decks, I wouldn't even consider Eldrazi like when I'm doing my list. I would look at probably Initiative and then Eight Cast and Moon Stompy at shared second place. Like Eldrazi has just sort of gone out of relevance in some sense. I guess this might have started a bit during... Oh, well, maybe it was in full effect, but during Oko. Mm, right. In some scenarios, you had to combat... Oko, you had to maybe fight Uro. I mean, if you have a reality smash and your opponent has an Uro, like it's the worst feeling. You need to rip your one of Caracas <laughs> or whatever. It's it's not going to be a good time. So I guess it's kind of like the same thing. But I don't know, like when you look at the meta today, having a reality smash or a really big Fatma Seer used to be very powerful in Legacy when you can just turbo them out against Delver decks like Canadian Threshold and stuff like that you needed Goyf, and it needed to be very big to be relevant. And now all Delver decks pretty much play a playset of Merktide, which is just massively bigger than most Eldrasis. So I, I, I guess that it's just like the power creep of, of creatures making Eldrazi less good because they don't print medium-sized Eldrasis like they did when we returned to Zendikar.
1: I think that like the, the deck that overtook Eldrazi's throne was Mono-red Stompy initially and I think one of the reasons that it's a more successful Stompy deck nowadays is that it has a better removal suit. Because if you try to fight Mono-red Stompy on the creature axis, they are going to play furies and they are going to play a lot of hateful <laughs> removal cards that will just sweep your board so that they can, can get in with the creatures. And I remember fighting Eldrazi during the Eldrazi Winter it was like Strix was a pretty good card because they had really difficult times to deal with it and if you blocked their Tottenham Seed you would draw an extra card and it was real good value to just put something in front of their guys. I think that is the power of Monored Stompy and, of course, the initiative deck, which is full of removal and card draw. And, like, in that sense, I think that 8 cost is a little bit more similar to, <laughs> to Eldrazi, that it just puts threat in front of you. It doesn't really play any removal ex- except for, like, the forces. But it it is very explosive, on the other hand, and both go wide and go big. So it's hard to deal with the threats, unless you have an Artifact Sweeper, of course.
2: One thing all of those three have in common that Eldrassi does not is either some sort of card advantage or card selection. The Red Stompy deck got a major pickup in Fable of the Mirror Breaker, which is massive for the deck. Like, you get card selection, you get ramp, you get a creature, and God forbid, you get to flip it and then play fury and make a copy like christ eight cast has like yeah it's playing forecast and thought monitor it draws cards and has force of will so it's it's not weak to those turn zero decks i guess like eldrassi would need some massive banger to claw its way back in and these are, of course, famous last words. I'm probably going to run into it and get stomped.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, the threats are still good, I think. I think that, like, a Thought Not Seer and a Reality Smasher are still, like, viable threats, I think. Yeah, yeah, there's... Like, with the the, the trample and the you need to discard a card to target it clause. So, maybe some printing that works as removal or something like that would uh, put it back on, maybe.
0: Then we have on our list of decks that we are missing, I think... Two types of decks that I guess have the same nemesis to them. And these are firstly the Hogak Dredge, uh, sort of all those variants. And all different type of Loam decks. And I would hazard a guess that a certain green pitch card has made life very difficult for people who used to look at their graveyard a lot. Am I correct in this assumption?
2: I guess... To some extent, endurance does matter a hell of a lot. But I also believed like uh, ways to combat Merktide in form of Ley Line in the sideboards and stuff like that. It's also just a massive problem for... Mm, huge splash damage. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, the splash damage. Like, I don't know, I haven't played against a Gok deck. In so long, we have one player at our LGS that plays Zombardment. That person probably plays a Gak. I'm not sure, but I I guess that the splash damage of trying to beat Merktide is catching up on some of these decks. When it comes to Lone Variants, I do think that this is kind of like a, a problem that Lance is running into as well, where... Closing the game is very crucial now. You have to do it quickly against both Delver and Initiative. If you're not able to close a game very fast, a thing like the Initiative is going to run you over. And I do believe that Loam would have the exact same problem. And like uh, Punishing Fire against DRCs and Merc Tides, it's it's not happening. So I, I believe that it's, yeah, slowly just being pushed out of relevance.
1: Yeah, and I think like, if you think about the the graveyard decks that actually are doing well, it's like Black Red Reanimator for one, with a lot of discard. I think it's like ten main deck discard, of which eight are free to cast that these is, days. That ain't right. So like, you, you, are, you are really stripping your opponent of answers, and then you go on turn one. And the other one is super grindy, like Cephalid Breakfast, that is also Beating and endurance, usually,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. They can just continue.
1: So, so, like, yeah. So, if you if you are somewhere in between Cephalid Breakfast and Reanimator, you are just too exposed. I think.
0: Yeah, Bridge from Below has seen its day in the sun.
1: Yeah, like bridges are easy to remove these days. Yeah, it's like so just a pitch something and hard and... To gu- <laughs> any pitch creature.
0: <laughs> hey, I am hard cast. <laughs> like, so another deck that sort of for me falls in a bit of the same category as Mud in sort of how it defines the pilot is Bomberman. That I used to think was like anyone who plays Bomberman is an aficionado of Legacy because they know what's going on and they also have good taste. It's almost like you know a stacks player. And Bomberman was sort of had a sort of a fairly, fairly good showing a couple of years ago, and now it's just completely gone. Where did Bomberman go off to?
2: I think uh, Robin played a deck. Last week, that is one of the reasons. Not not Delver the week before. All right. <laughs> so the first thing, well, now I'm talking about Eight and but Eight Cast was not the first deck to sort of push Bomberman out of the format, according to me. Like it did have a resurgence, like when um, there were some printings happened. And the Bomberman, for a very short time, when I started my KTH journey, was considered to be a top-tier contender. Then it got the companion Zerda. You know, it was just like a real powerhouse at one yeah, point. That's what saying. They uh, they banned Zerda, which uh, might be a part of the, the answer here. But one of the f- decks that started pushing it out of the format was the Echo Karn deck, which was just like a more like it was it was like a bomb it functioned like a bomberman deck but it had more get out of jail free cards like you could just let echo if they forced your turn one whatever and uh, i guess like the echo part just kind of took its place started replacing bombermans and then that deck was sort of Replaced by 8 cast, which is uh, not doing like sure, there are decks like that. L- Line side diamond in a mono blue deck with echo is still a thing, like with hull breachers and narsets. But I think 8 cast kind of replaced Bomberman's replacement, so that's that's where it went. I think Zerda ban was very hard for the deck.
1: I think Bomberman also suffers from the endurance effect. Like you you have to play 4-drop and then you have to discard your hand to the LED and hope that the opponent doesn't have an endurance. That's much to ask of a deck. And I think a lot of the lead decks have moved away from being like putting one spell on the stack and then sacrificing lead and discarding their entire hand it's a bit too all in so like e- even the storm decks they want to play a silence effect or a bale of summer or something to clear mm. the way mm. first yeah. and or or much rather like galvanic relay or something that will just draw a lot of cards and not being able to be countered with a force of will or force of negation so like y- just that being so vulnerable with the Lion's Eye Diamond, sacrifice, discard your hand, that sort of effect is is a little bit too fragile in Legacy right now, I think.
2: Mm. Yeah, maybe since the printing of Force of Negation, maybe
0: that's also a very big impact. Yeah. I was just going to say Force of Negation seems really good in general against uh, a lot of these things. A, a conclusion one can draw from from looking at these decks and by all means this is not an exhaustive uh, list we can we can look at more decks that sort of we have loved and are no longer with us is essentially what we've been saying now for the past sort of 15 minutes is that other decks that did the same thing way more efficiently came along and the decks that these decks were preying upon also got just better and are, are no longer being able to be preyed upon whereas i mean there have been no new printings for Eldrazi. Mud hasn't gotten anything new. You know, the graveyard decks probably get things, but that doesn't really matter because the anti-graveyard presence is so strong.
2: Yeah, like, and, and just to add on that, or whenever a graveyard deck do get something, there's either a better shell for it than these mid range type decks yep. now yep. yeah I'm calling <laughs> this is insane but I'm calling Gak and Dredge like quote unquote mid range graveyard deck which is
1: <laughs> well yes yeah, they're a little bit slow. Yeah the,
2: yeah and this is insane like when I think Dredge when I play against Dredge my heartbeat goes up. It's one of those <laughs> matchups where I'm like it's on me to fix this problem. But in a core like compared to the other decks fast graveyard decks. It is a quote-unquote mid-range
0: graveyard deck. This relates to another comment I wanted to make, is that I mean, and and I don't want to sort of put value into this, like, this is more of a a factual statement that Legacy, as I guess all Magic formats, but Legacy, I think most of all formats, has gotten so extremely efficient. And I mean, this is by no means an invention in this discussion. It's been discussed uh, for years now. But I think when you put sort of a group of decks like this next to each other and you realize that sort of yeah you have to play this four drop in order for things to get going or you have to discard your hand you sort of you quickly realize that that's just not efficient enough anymore uh, because all individual cards in other decks are just so strong or contribute so much to the game whether it be advancing your board state or upping your card advantage or disrupting your opponent and, uh, I mean, these decks just don't make the cut anymore because they don't do that. I mean, that's a reason, I mean, I am putting, I played, you know, Arena Rector, Academy Rector deck for for quite some time, but it's it feels sort of, I'm not going to say pointless because, I mean, I enjoy the deck, but it's not a deck that's in any way efficient <laughs> as it needs to what be. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and also like, I mean, it, it used to be that sort of I put Ugin on the table and that would, would win me the game these days Ugin isn't <laughs> as good anymore because there's just so much colorless things running around or other ways to win as well so it's um, not efficient enough and then sort of, you know, you can bring it to the LGS and have fun but you would never actually play a tournament with it because it wouldn't get you anywhere other than into the 0-2 bracket.
1: Yeah, that's exactly how I feel about my, like, former favorite deck, Food Chain, which I also know is close to your heart, Christopher. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I, I, I still think that the combo is decent, but, like, the card Mist Hollow Griffin is just so bad these days. It's a 4-mana 3-3 three, three flyer that is just get b- buddied by everything. It used to be impossible for a control deck to beat just like Miss Hollow Griffin beats. That was just enough. Yeah, here's <laughs> that is no way the way it is anymore. Here's
2: the Vikström hot take. I still think Myst Hollow be- uh, Griffin beats up on control decks. But here's the problem, and the re- one of the reasons why I decided to, you know, put Food Chain on the shelf a couple of years ago. Like I think it was in 2016 that I made a commitment to change from Food Chain to Aluren. The reason was how. The decks function and how they will function long term with the printings of new creatures for food chain to be significantly different from how it looks now a fundamental printing would need to happen but as time and time has shown for aluren like uro was a massive game changer oko was a massive game changer now i'm loving Edder Chandler and Acerorak, like there's a lot of these cards that function extremely well on their own void of the combo but together with the combo is just incredibly unfair and that does not really exist in Food Chain. When Hydroid Crazies and Walking Ballista was the win cons, and I guess they still are, I knew that this is probably where like yeah, what's better than drawing as many cards as you want from your deck and gaining X life and playing a walking ballista? What can be better than that for this deck? Well, you still need to assemble all of the other parts and that that is just harder to do than with the Lurin. and that's why I made the change because it's easier to put out a, a one man, like a, a 4 mana enchantment into play without having to have anything in your exile in your hand or in your battlefield than what it is to enable food chain so yeah that's that's at least why i shelved food chain
1: like you you can start with a clean board with a you need to have a hand right yeah like yeah, yeah, yeah. The, else it's
2: very tricky
1: but like with with food chain, it was like play play some creatures to have something to ramp when you play the food chain, and like a good control play can just remove the creatures, right? E- even if you get to get your Mr. Griffin exiled, and you can replay it and all of that, it still doesn't beat an opponent's Uro. Now
2: that's true. That's a, your Uro needs to beat the yeah.
1: Uro, <laughs> and my Uro gets swords, <laughs> usually. Yeah, that's uh,
2: that's rough to kind of tie the knot here. Victor talked about his his honey which was the Rector Rector fit and we talked about you know food chain maybe losing a spot in our heart due to how to enable it and how to make it work in a meta game and to end on a very positive note. We have seen a large like decrease in Infect over the years. Not that there was like an abundance of Infect players, but This is also one of those types of players that the people who play Infect, you know, watched Tom Ross crush people on the Star City game circuit and getting really pumped up, you know, trying out the deck and learning all of the ins and outs. How do I get to 10 and I don't play Storm? You know, how do I get the damage in? I do believe that there is at least opportunity now with the latest mechanic, Toxic, to maybe help give infect some tools and it will be really interesting to see how these people because people who are devoted to infect they are fanatics and i love that they stick to their guns so hard although they shouldn't sometimes (laughs) but they do it and i respect that so it's going to be really interesting to see if there are any cool developments with infect there's this pseudo mother of runes that gives toxic one and protection to a creature which you know toxic and infect stack so it's it's not a problem it's like it gets pseudo gets plus one plus one super interested to see if we'll have any deep cuts coming up soon
0: yeah and that is all we have for this episode do you have a hot take to explain where all the fun decks went? Please tell us in our Discord server. You can find the link in this episode description. In addition to Discord, you can hit us up on Twitter. We are at STHLMLegacy. Also, we are personally present on some social media. Robin, where can our listeners gack you? you?
1: can gack me on Twitter at Jacka underscore Bo.
2: And you can berserk my elishnorn on Twitter at Mtg.
0: And you can metal worker me to the O2 bracket on the same platform as Drogo, And that is the end of the 77th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Robinson seal and I'm Christopher Wigström. I am Victor Bernhards. Special thanks to you for listening. It's always nice to have people actually caring a little bit about what we do here. The great Frönes has written their music. You can find more of their work on Spotify. And until our next episode, as a public servants announcement, remember that Seventh Son of a Seventh Son still is a great concept album worth your time.